ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the broadcast. You are tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on the Republic Broadcasting Network, and I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And this is the first time that Corbett Report Radio has broadcast at this particular hour. We used to be broadcasting at 11 p.m. Central here on Republic Broadcasting, but as of tonight, obviously, we're broadcasting at 9 p.m. So this might be the first time that some of you out there have heard my voice, and hopefully most of you out there will have caught some of my work in the past. But for those who haven't, perhaps a short introduction is in order. As I say, my name is James Corbett. My website is CorbettReport.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T, Report.com. And that's where I've been for, for the last five years, amassing interviews and podcast episodes and videos and articles on a whole host and range of topics, everything from... 9-11 Truth, which was my first entree into the world of alternative news, history, and information, to many, many other aspects of the world that has been laid out in front of us, unfortunately, like a nightmare for the last decades, if not centuries, including the central banking hoax and and the police state, the Big Brother Orwellian society that we're being steeped into, the transhumanist agenda, in fact, so many different aspects of, of what we're facing so I hope that you will take uh, CorbettReport.com for the resource that it is. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of free media there available freely for you to download in the archives there. So I hope you will go and explore some of that work if you haven't done so in the past. A little bit about myself personally, in case this is your first time listening to Corbett Report Radio. As I say, I'm James Corbett, and I am a Canadian uh, by birth and was grow- grew up and raised in Alberta, Canada. And I spent my entire life there until I was about 21, 22, and I moved to Ireland for one year to study over there. And then after that, I moved to Japan, where I am currently based, where I live and work and have been for the past eight years. I was an English teacher for seven of those eight years, and for the past year or so, I've been working full-time on the website I'm blessed and honored to have an incredible bunch of supportive people out there who are able to to really make this possible for me to do this full time. So once again, I do rely on the kindness of strangers and to all of those people who are subscribers to my website and or have purchased copies of my DVDs in the past. Thank you so much. This is truly uh, not possible without all of you out there. So on that note, this is Corbett Report Radio, and as I say, we have a very wide range of guests, topics, and interviews that we present to you on a nightly basis here. So if this is your first time listening, I hope you will continue to join us every night here at 9 p.m. Central on Republic Broadcasting. And having said all of that, one of the uh, topics that we've been exploring quite a bit on the podcast lately has been the transhumanist agenda this idea that the, well, would-be ruling elite would like us all to merge with machines in the coming years, basically, so that they can continue their eugenics ideology, their eugenics religion, really, and uh, and by which they mean to propagate themselves and their families into perpetuity while they populate the stars, and the rest of us can either be their minions and servants or, well, I pro- probably preferably in their eyes, just die off. We've been talking about many different aspects of this agenda and how it's unfolding. So tonight, it is my honor to bring on a guest that uh, some of you out there have been requesting specifically, so I'm, I'm happy to have him on. His name is Len, Lennon Honor, L-E-N-O-N-H-O-N-O-R, and you can go to LennonHonor.com to find out more about him. He's a husband, a father, a musician, a video producer, a talk show host, a personal consultant, a lecturer, and an author of two published books. He is a documentarian who's made eight major documentaries on all sorts of topics, 
spirituality, religion, subliminal manipulation, media mind control, the occult politics, and transhumanism. So we're going to be bringing him up after this first break to talk about all of that range of uh, topics. So I hope you will stay with us. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Like old glory, faithful to the republic. Security will prevail, as sure as I am the president. President Jimmy Carter. to the broadcast friends here we are on this monday night edition of corporate report radio and we're talking to lennon honor of lennononor.com as i say he's a husband a father a musician a video producer a talk show host a personal consultant a lecturer and a writer so if you haven't yet done so i certainly hope you will check out his website you can also check out lennononorfilms.com which has all of his documentary films on an extremely wide range of topics so it's a pleasure to have him on the program tonight let's bring him up uh, on the program. Lennon, thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. Oh, thank you, James. Thanks for the wonderful introduction, and thank you for having me as a guest. I really look forward to speaking with you this evening. Well, as I say, we have had uh, uh, people out there, listeners out there, emailing me to get you on the program, so I'm happy to do it. I have been watching some of your work for, for a number of years now, so let's uh, let's start to introduce yourself in a little bit more detail. For those people out there who aren't familiar with you or where you're coming from, your background, what got you into all of this, let's talk a little bit about that. Sure, sure. Well, my name is Lennon Honor, and I have two websites, LennonHonor.com and LennonHonorFilms.com. Uh, initially, I launched LennonHonorFilms.com uh, maybe about four, maybe five years ago, uh, where I began to sh- uh, share my documentary work. Um, and previously that, I had a YouTube account. It's, I still have that YouTube account, and I began to upload my documentaries there on YouTube uh, some years ago. Then I set up my own website and began sharing there. Um, I've always been into uh, alternative information. You know, throughout our lives, we go through this, this kind of like this process from birth. Like we're indoctrinated into a particular system. We're raised within that system. We, you know, we're, we're, we go into the public education system. We come out of that. Some of us, we go into college and usually, you know, we then join the workforce and then we continue along a particular kind of pre-planned and it pre, it's, a, it's an expected path. Um, but then some of us, we have certain experiences that kind of shake us and wakes us up to where we realize that there must be more to life than just that. Um, and I've had several of those experiences. And one of the things that happened at a certain point was uh, my wife and I, when we conceived our first son, something inside of me began to change where I began to really ask critical questions about the world around me. In particular, I started to ask questions about um, the different levels of manipulation that impacts us uh, as human beings, and not just uh, in terms of us as adults, but also as children. Again, conceiving our first uh, child, uh, wanting to be the best father that I could be, wanting to be the best husband I could be to my wife. These are the types of questions that begin to come to mind. You know, how can I best protect my children? And the more and more I begin to ask those types of questions, I start to look into alternative information. I start to look into uh, media propaganda. I start to look into um uh, a lot of the uh, media manipulation as it relates to subliminal uh, subliminal messages and uh, subliminal embedding, et cetera. And my whole orientation at that time was how is this impacting children and how could this Im- impact my son when he comes of age? Maybe he's exposed to these types of diff- uh, these different levels of programming. And uh, I remember uh, there was a time when my wife and I, um, we, did, we, we, don't, we haven't watched like broadcast television for years. Uh, we don't even own a, a television. But there was a time when we would go to the library and we would pick up uh, videos, uh, DVDs, and we would let our, our, our son. Uh, and at that time, we had two sons by that time. We have five children now. 
But by that time, there was two two sons, and we let them watch uh, some of those videos. And one of the videos that I got was one by Disney, and I thought it was completely going to be completely, um, you know, uh, for for the age range. I, feel, I felt like it was going to be pr- uh, completely age appropriate. And that film was a film called uh, Angels in the Outfield. And because I had already done some study in, to, in terms of subliminal manipulation, and, and I got into, I started to it, it really explore the subconscious mind, uh, human psychology. Um, I started to notice some of the programming that was present in that particular film and some of it was quite disturbing i remember my wife and i we watched maybe 15 minutes of it and then we turned it off and, and we said we were not going to allow our children to watch that and from that time we, we take a very proactive approach we screen everything prior to allowing our children um uh, to view these these uh, types of movies it could be television shows uh it can be cartoons whatever the case may be so ultimately what i decided to do was i remember i told my wife at some point i want to share my insights as it relates to these types of topics and i went through a process of continuing to study and i began to look at more uh, information dealing with subliminal messages and ultimately i decided to to do documentary work in that field to kind of help other people to see the manipulation and hopefully make uh, proper choices not just for their children but also proper choices for themselves uh, to protect their their conscious mind and ultimately really to, to to protect their subconscious mind from the media manipulation and that's how i got started Started. Uh, since that time, I've been uh, I've produced many different documentaries dealing with media manipulation, dealing with transhumanism, all types of topics, religion, mind control techniques, uh, NLP, neurolinguistic programming. Um, I've done uh, extensive radio shows, etc. Um, but I should also mention that primarily my responsibility is not just to help humanity, but also to serve as the best husband that I can uh, be to my wife and the best father that I can be to my wonderful five children. Uh, and that's pretty much uh, what I can say about myself in a nutshell. Well, uh, it, certainly that is uh, quite a nutshell, but uh, you're certainly to be commended for, for the work that you've done exposing various aspects of this agenda. And I think you're exactly right to locate the locus of the attack in the various types of media manipulation that attempt to really shape our consciousness from the moment we're born um, increasingly these days with children being basically hardwired into their screens and iPads and whatever it is that uh, children are using these days. And unfortunately, they're getting caught in that matrix earlier and earlier. So you mentioned, for example, Angels in the Outfield, and uh, there's a, a documentary on your website, LennonOnHerFilms.com, Demons in the Outfield, talking about that in particular. There's also a, a work that I haven't watched, so I, I can't comment on it specifically, but it, it provocatively titled The Early Works of Walt Disney, The Foundation of a Pedophilic Institution. So obviously you've spent some time looking at the ways that children are being programmed in this. Let's talk a little bit about the types of uh, programming that children are subjected to. Yes, yes. In Disney in particular, many people have a very uh, deep misconception as to um, the Disney institution. Um, many people, they perceive the Disney institution to be like this bastion for family values and morals and ethics and, you know, all things wholesome. But if you really look at it in terms of their productions, you realize that the productions aren't in line with that type of an orientation. In fact, the, the production from the beginning, and I, I, what I do inside my documentary, um, the early works of Walt Disney, the, the uh, foundations of a pedophilic institution, I go back to the early works of Walt Disney. And those early works were called the Alice series. And the Alice series um, was an, a, a mixture of a real live, a real live li- a little girl. And then they, they superimposed. It was almost like, you know, uh, computer generated uh, graphics, uh, you know, the, the precursor to computer generated graphics. They, they in- infuse, um, 
not just the the uh, the, a real life human being, but also the cartoons. He had this interplay, uh, which an interplay that actually became became more um, present later on as technology began to advance. But those initial uh, films, we call the Alice series, was about this uh, little girl named Alice. And what I did was I, I looked at uh, the, the first four of those uh, those particular uh, that particular series. It's, it's a very interesting uh, dynamic. And one of the things that that automatically you realize is that there is an agenda to not only sexualize children in many Disney films. Um, but also to project the child as if the child is an adult. So if people really look at many of the Disney films, oftentimes you see children who are separated from their parents. They're out doing things at all times of the night. Peter Pan, you know, their parents go off to go do something, and the children are left at home. Uh, children are finding themselves out in the forest somewhere. Children find themselves out inside some landscape and, you know, uh, going on explorations in castles. So to project children as if they are adults. Now, this is problematic for many different reasons. And one of the major reasons why this is problematic is because if you really look at the interactions that these children have, especially these, these young children when they're put and when they're projected as an adult, their interactions that they have in adult as with other adults or with, with uh, real life adults, you realize that there are also sexual connotations that are being expressed on a subliminal level. And this is precisely what is the foundation for this particular series. In point of fact, the, the first uh, cartoon uh, in that series um, with Alice, her name is Alice, um, she finds herself inside of a studio. It's a cartoon studio and she opens up a door and the, the door says it's, it's private and yet she's there alone by herself she has makeup on she has a dress on she's she's made up to look as if she's a lot older than she is she is without parental supervision and then there's a man who's sitting in a chair who happens to be walt disney and he tells her to come on over and he brings her over and he starts to talk with her and there's this whole interplay that takes place but what's really taking place in, in essence is a young child is placed in an environment you see this a lot inside uh, disney films placed inside of an environment projected as an adult dressed as an adult and begins to have flirtatious engagements with an, an, an actual adult and then that actual adult begins to manipulate that child so the child begins to be in an environment or do certain things or engage in, in certain behavior patterns so what i do inside of that uh, at that film is I really look at the subliminal implications of what's taking place, and I give evidence of proof as to the pedophilic institution itself and how pedophilia, meaning the projection of the child as an adult as a means of legitimizing the sexualization of the adult. See, this is the level of psychological pathology that, that we're dealing with here. If you project the child as an adult, therefore you can classify the, adult, the, the child as, as a sexual being. Well, this is predation. This is sexual predation in essence. This is what pedophiles do. And this is precisely what the Disney institution has done from the beginning. And that same trend continues to the present day. Unfortunately so. And it's interesting, of course, even the name Alice is evocative of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll, who was another Absolutely. famed yes. children's writer who, in fact, was a pedophile. So Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the same mm -hmm. same type of thing playing itself out. Well, what what has your research shown about Walt Disney in particular? Because not, not only the, the pedophilia, but, of course, all of the other really disturbing aspects of so many different Disney productions uh, that really play on children's minds. And as you say, so many uh, young parents are, are just go to Disney movies by default. Well, this will be good, wholesome family entertainment, but it's anything of the sort. Clearly, uh, Walt Disney must have had some sort of connections or, or something behind the scenes to make him into that uh, the type of uh, star figure by which the Disney productions could be promoted to that extent in our society. Yes, absolutely. Um, Walt Disney was not actually a gifted individual on any level. <laughs> Artistically, creatively, he wasn't. And, and if people do the research on him, you realize that he didn't actually do any of the drawings. He was a he was a mediocre artist at best. Okay, so he had people that he would he would hire to do the the, art, the artistry for his work. But one of the one of the reasons why um, his 
his productions became so popular, well, there's a couple of different reasons why. One was that he was part of a network which people call Freemasonry. And I want people to understand that when we talk about Freemasonry, that doesn't mean that every single Freemason is a bad person. However, the network is set up to where particular individuals, particular agendas are promoted within that institution. Right. If you are a member, per se, and Walt Disney was a member. So you have that aspect, the secret society kind of orientation. And there's a lot of people who are into that type of stuff. But in addition to this, in terms of the types of propaganda pieces that were, that have been issued over the years, there is a lot of propaganda that deals with more occultic themes and imagery. Right. Not only. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I hear the music coming in. Not only occultic themes and imagery, but also what we call Disney Princess, which is a socialization uh, uh, program to destabilize women's perceptions of themselves. Absolutely right. Yes, a very important part of the, the growing up of a lot of young girls, unfortunately, and it might explain a lot of the things that we see in our society today. But on that note, we are pushing up against the break. So let's take a short break. We'll be right back with Lennon Honor of LennonHonor.com. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now. All right, welcome back to the broadcast, friends. You are tuned into Corporate Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting. Tonight we're talking to Lennon Honor of LennonHonor.com, a writer and uh, a documentary filmmaker, an author, a lecturer, a husband and a father, and uh, someone who we, it has really explored a lot of the different aspects of the agenda that's unfolding on a societal level to try to trap people into this matrix whereby we can be adequately controlled and shunted off into whatever agenda the elite want to play on us. So we will be talking about various other aspects of his work, but uh, just before the break, we were talking about the, the Disney uh, institution as it has come to, to really dominate our society and the concept of what it means to be a child in our society. And we were talking about the uh, the princess programming that uh, that so many Disney productions have in them that really has affected so many children, so many young girls, obviously, in our society. Let's continue talking a little bit about that princess programming and what it's really all about. Yes, yes, and I've, I've spoken about this with several other people uh, over the years. I think this is this is an important aspect. One of the things my wife and I uh, we do do every single Sunday uh, on com is a live video stream uh, titled "Positive Relationships," and we recognize in the value of uh, male-female relationships, also the the value of personal growth, where and individuals come together holistically uh, to build something greater than what they would normally be able to create by themselves. And that is a process, but part of that process is actually a level of intellectual progression, meaning that the, each and every one of us must go through a process of maturation on in, in terms of our intelligence, in terms of our understanding of the world, in terms of our relationship to each other, in terms of our relationship to the cosmos. And part of the agenda in terms of, you know, in, in, in order to maintain a level of domination and control, part of the agenda is to maintain a level of... Um, a level of, uh, of, or to project a mentality, a childlike mentality, and to maintain it. The word that's coming to mind that I've, that I've been seeking for here is to cause people to have a level of intellectual arrested development. And in essence, what how Disney functions is, and, and this is, again, all of this programming is issued to children. And the programming that is issued to children is not designed to have them, uh, to have, them have a, le- a level of intellectual progression or intellectual growth per se. It is designed to keep them thinking and operating on a childlike, in a childlike way. What better way to control massive amounts of people than to mind control them in such a way to where they're operating like children? 
They're externalizing power. They always need someone to come to save them, to protect them. They always need some, uh, someone with a sword, the, 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 the prince riding on the white horse to come and save them. In some cases, it's a politician. In some cases, it's a religious institution. In some cases, it may be a social institution. What have you. If you can maintain a level of intellectual arrested development to where individuals are stuck in a certain way of thinking, in a childlike mentality, then you can maintain domination and control uh, over them infinitum. It's almost like it's inevitable. If you can maintain a child within uh, an individual as a child in their 21, their 25, their 30, their 35, their 40, then you can maintain your dominance control over them. So one of the things that has happened is that the Disney princess propaganda is issued so that women, young or really young girls, begin to internalize on a subconscious level subliminal programming that causes them to maintain a certain outlook as it relates to uh, themselves, but also their role within the context of a male-female relationship. Now, what I mean by a role, uh, I'm not saying that there is a, a specific role for women and a specific role for men. What I'm saying is that the, that the role that is being projected through the Disney Princess programming is that young girls do not have to engage in any level of intellectual process and progression. Instead, they must look pretty. They must fit a particular beauty model. They must wait for some man to come save them. They must conduct themselves in a very uh, fanciful, delicate way like the Disney princess, uh, the Disney princesses do throughout all the various Disney princess movies. This is in part the programming that young girls are given. So this program plays itself out in terms of how young girls perceive the nature of male-female relationships. And that perception is not functional as it relates to establishing positive male-female relationships. Positive relationships between men and uh, women must be engaged in by men and women. That means that the man must have in, involved himself in an intellectual process and intellectual growth to where he grows beyond the mentality of a boy. And the woman must do the same where she grows beyond the mentality of the girl. A lot of the programming that D- Disney is issued is, and issues to the, the general population, especially the younger people, is to stifle the younger generation so they, they are the young, younger people so that they maintain a certain level of thinking. And that level of thinking does not foster mental sovereignty. When you have a level of mental sovereignty, you can actualize whatever reality you want, which includes a positive relationship. So that's why the Disney princess is very problematic in terms of how it's impacting young girls. My wife and I, we're very careful. We can't, we do not, we do not even allow our children, uh, to, in, uh, to interact with like Disney, uh, cause they have so much, uh, from Disney films, uh, to Disney toys, to Disney books, but also in, in very specifically with our daughters, we do not want them to be impacted by this level of programming, this Disney princess programming, because that causes a lifelong, um, a psychological imbalance that many women are unable to overcome. As an example, I have seen pictures of grown women who have found a need to have Disney princess weddings and they go to Disneyland and get married with a carriage dressed like a princess and the man their husband is dressed like a uh, you know one of the the princess hero archetypes inside of the Disney films well this is a level of intellectual uh, arrested development this is a level in essence that, that this woman is still thinking on a level of a child based upon the programming that she received when she was a child and the infantilization of our culture in general proceeds apace, unfortunately. And unfortunately, I think we can all understand how that has played out in our own lives and see that in the lives of people around us. And it is a part of a much, much wider agenda that, that unfortunately, again, is proceeding apace with so many uh, different outlets for that in the media that we're encountering. 
on a daily basis. On that note, we're going to take another short break, but we'll be back with London Honor. And once again, LondonHonorFilms.com is where you can go to see some of his documentary works. We'll be talking more about that after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Once again, we're talking to Lennon Honor of LennonHonor.com and LennonHonorFilms.com, so I hope you'll check out his websites to find out more about his work. Tonight we're talking about various aspects of that work. As we say, it covers just so much of the, the various aspects of the agenda, but talking broadly about mind uh, manipulation and mind control via media manipulation which is something that we've dedicated a lot of time to exploring on CorbettReport.com, so I think it will resonate with a lot of the listeners out there Let's move on to another uh, a fascinating series. In fact, uh, I, I believe it's over 14 hours now, so I haven't watched it all, but I have watched significant portions of it. Uh, uh, being a self-confessed uh, Trekkie in my youth, yes, shock, surprise, um, I find this series particularly fascinating. It's called The Borg Agenda, Seven of Nine, and the Sexualization of Technology. It is a sprawling work that is really drilling down to the roots of the, the transhumanist agenda and how it's being presented via the Star Trek series. Uh, Lennon Honor, just a, an incredible work that you've uh, created so far, and as I understand, it's not done yet. So uh, it's a, a quite a sprawling work. But let's start talking about this and where it came from. Oh, sure, sure. And uh, that work is ongoing. <laughs> I, I hope to fi- I hope to finish it sometime within the next forty years. <laughs> um, I, I, I Assuming they stop making Star Trek's uh, TV series. Again. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and uh, I too am a recovering Trekkie, so I have to say that in the first place. And I am a I still am I am a Star Trek fan. Matter of fact, I have been watching Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, which is a series that I enjoy the most out of all of them. And I've seen all the series many many times over. And I have been a long time Star Trek uh, fan. Um, but one of the things that has happened over the years is uh, because I've, I've focused on different topics, dealing with media manipulation and different agendas. I mean, we can go on. We can talk about so many different agendas. Um, but one of the agendas that came to mind, I remember someone on my YouTube account said, have you looked into transhumanism at all? And I said, no, I haven't. This was years ago. He said, I think you should, should uh, look into it. So I began to explore the concept of transhumanism. And for those who are unfamiliar, transhumanism is really um, it's an outgrowth of eugenics. So and eugenics is dealing with uh, um uh, genetic-based reproduction, right? It's, and it's also largely tied to the concept of racial superiority, racial inferiority. It's about the breeding out of a particular particular groups of people, and then the quote-unquote elite are, are able to continue to breed uh, as part of a eugenics agenda, if you will. Transhumanism is really the futuristic treatment of eugenics. So now transhumanism is the method to which in the, in the near future, it's not necessarily in the distant future, in the near future, the same eugenic uh, propaganda is, is kind of like... Uh, 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 placed uh, or, or at least uh, projected into the subconscious mind of those who come into the, the levels of, of propagandization of this concept. Um, transhumanism is this notion that in order for the human species to continue to evolve further and to continue to, to become greater than it is, that it must transcend its humanist, its, its humanist na- nature or its humanistic nature, and it must begin to embrace technology to the extreme to where now technology becomes the means to which we realize our greater selves. And not only do we use technology and, and the, the need for us and ultimately to, to create a level of over-dependency upon technology, but also that t- at a certain point technology becomes part of our 
biological makeup. In other words, you begin to see the infusion of technology into the human body. This is also part of the transhumanist agenda. So in this sense, what better outlet to explore this concept, this futuristic treatment of eugenics than in the Star Trek universe? <laughs> That's how I came to really begin to put the pieces together. Once I began to study transhumanism, uh, when I would go back and watch Star, Star Trek, I realized that a lot of the programming that is issued through Star Trek is part, in part transhumanistic philosophy and ideology. And one of the, the preeminent uh, means through which this is propagandized is through certain characters, right? And so these characters, have they represent particular archetypes. One character that comes to mind automatically is Data. Right, Data is an android. Right, He's, he wants to be human. It's almost like the, P, the P, Pinocchio dynamic that we find in Disney films, where android represents that, but in the distant future. Uh, another one is Jordan LaForge, who is a blind uh, engineer, um, and, he, and instead of having uh, implants, uh, you know, because in the future they have, they can actually give them eye implants. Instead, he has a technical technological device that he that is called a visor that he puts around his uh, eyes or over his eyes that allows him to see frequency ranges that the human, the normal human eye cannot perceive. Well, in essence, he is. Uh, more advanced, technologically speaking, he can see different things and see more than what the average human being can see. So in essence, in terms of his vision, if you will, he has transcended the levels of humanity in terms of what human, the average human being can see. So the, the transhumanist agenda really presents itself in many different forms, but the greatest form through which it manifests inside the Star Trek universe is through these, um, these uh, cybernetic species that is called the Borg. And this is why I decided to title the whole film, The Borg Agenda, Seven of Nine and the Sexualization of Technology. The Borg represents, really represent a futuristic society wherein everyone is, is dependent upon technology. And because of these levels of technological dependency, everyone dresses the same, everyone thinks the same, everyone does what the queen tells them to do without any question. If the queen says terminate your life, the board will do it. Well, this is precisely part in part the program that has been issued and the agenda that has been issued here on Earth in modern times. It just hasn't become, it hasn't gone to the point where it's now based upon a fully technocratic society, but it's getting there. And then I also infuse this other character, Seven of Nine, who appears inside Star Trek um, a Voyager which is another Star Trek series. And what they do with her character is she's, she's a Borg. They take her out of the Borg collective. She's been assimilated into the Borg. They take her out of the Borg collective. And then she begins to have these interactions on board uh, the Starship Voyager. What's interesting about that is, in essence, what they do throughout her progressions is they sexualize her to the extreme. And by sexualizing her, and again, she is part uh, uh, robotic. She's, she's, she's uh, technological, but then she's also biological. And sexualizing her, they also, they don't not, they just don't sexualize her her biological component, they also sexualize her technological component. So now you get into the sexualization of technology, which is also a part of the transhumanist agenda as well, because now in society we have individuals who are interested, in, and in particular males who are interested in having sex dolls that are, are robot-like but appear to be human, right? Um, uh, uh, in terms of the sexualization of technology, this is another aspect of what I call the Borg agenda, which stems out of transhumanism, which also ties into the eugenics agenda, because if you have males and females engaging in, in sexual behaviors with technology, then you stifle the growth of and the birth of children. So then it gets into eugenics. Now we're getting into, um, uh, what's the term? Now we're, now we're getting into, um, uh, I can't think of the term right now. We're in society implement strategies wherein the general populations are unable to or unwilling to reproduce. Right. This is, in essence, mm -hmm. what the, the, the sexualization of technology uh, mm -hmm. uh, entails. 
I think it's just so perceptive to point that out because it's something that's encoded into a lot of our language that a lot of people use on a daily basis. We talk about the fetishization of, of technology. We even talk about uh, Apple, for example, making technology sexy and making it appealing. But we never put the, the pieces together like that. And I think it's because this, this transhumanist agenda is being led and guided largely by people who are uh, self-confessed converts to this transhumanist religion, the Ray Kurzweil's and, and people of that ilk, who who are fully on board with this because they are techie-type nerds who really do believe in his future, I think, to a certain extent, and the utopian possibilities. But for the vast majority of the public, it is going to take something that will appeal to them at an instinctual level that, that will get them to, uh, to, to want to merge with this technology. And what better example of that, what better way to appeal to the basic instinct of humans than to make that literally sexy, that you want to literally merge with the machinery. It's uh, it's a, a really hideous and and terrible way of looking at it, but I think you're exactly right. That's in, implicitly encoded into a lot of this programming. Yes, yes, and it's interesting because that is a form of propaganda to sexualize things. Remember, they sexualize uh, cigarettes for a time, right? So just because it, it appears to be sexy doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy for you. Just because it may appear to, appear to be sexy to, you know, have sexual relations with a robot, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's healthy. And the word uh, that I couldn't that couldn't come to mind, and I apologize, was population reduction. What better way to initialize a level of population reduction than to have men seeking robots for sexual intercourse and women seeking robots for sexual intercourse? And a lot of that that propagandization actually funnels itself through Star Trek. And again, on a subconscious, subliminal level, this is the, the subliminal encoding that is present there. And not only is the, in, in terms of the Star Trek universe, you said the utopian society, the whole Star Trek universe in terms of Starfleet Command is based upon the projection of a utopian society. So it's almost like everything is packaged just so nicely and so perfectly, but then within that package, you see these sub-programs, if you will, when you get things like the sexualization of technology. I remember even Data at a certain point, he had sexual intercourse with Tasha Yar. And I remember when I first saw that, I was like, wow, that's incredible. But that pales into comparison compared to the, the types of programming that we get today where individuals were having sexual intercourse with robots. But at that time, when that initially came out, I was really blown away. I was a child at that time. But that level of sexualization, you know, you're sexualizing Data, who is an android, and then, uh, uh, um, not the, I'm thinking of Deanna Troy, um, Atasha Yar, her need for him to be her uh, high-tech dildo, if you will, that that provides a profound, I mean, it's, that's profound in terms of implications and what, that's, what that, the, the program is and what that says to the general population who views it, who views it as entertainment without taking a critical look and, take, and looking at it consciously. That becomes, therefore, subconscious program. Indeed, and, and in fact... It- that wasn't the only uh, woman to be attracted to data throughout the series. In fact, that was something that happened multiple times. So it is something that was being encoded in there, and the, the writers, whether consciously or not, were picking up on that idea. And it, you're exactly right. It is kind of overwhelming to, to the youth who uh, primarily audience that, that were watching it at the time and thinking about you know, what it's going to be like in the future. And unfortunately, as you say, it's already starting to become a, a nightmare reality of the present. Yes, absolutely. And as you know, a lot of the programming that is initialized, it may have been 20 years ago, it's really pre-programming for things that are coming down the line. And this is pretty much how agendas are set forth. You get the pre-programming in advance, and then you get the actual agenda. The, the, what we see on television is really the pre-programming to prepare people in advance for the actual agenda when it begins to, to actually manifest itself and materialize itself. And then people are more complicit now. They have been basically prepared in advance for the agenda. So when the agenda is presented, it, it appears to them to be more amicable to their life. And that's precisely how these types of agenda are, these uh, types of agendas are actualized. 
Right, indeed. Well, we have uh, we have a caller on the line. Anyone else would like to get in? There's a few minutes left uh, to, for you to do so. One eight hundred three one three nine four four three. But we have Mike in Maryland on the line. So let's go to Mike. Mike, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, yes, uh, great show, great guests, and this is a really fascinating topic. And um, uh, yeah, so much of, of Hollywood and TV and movies and, and film and, and literature is just a matter of predictive programming and. If I may say so, I think maybe uh, a movie in particular that possibly fits uh, fits your uh, paradigm maybe more than any other is Blade Runner, where you have these uh, people that uh, these droids that are programmed to to die after a certain period of time, and they somehow break free of this um, uh, you know the, the, for this planet that they're that they're uh, basically. Uh, Put on, and they come back to Earth to find the key to uh, uh, living longer. And you have this one woman, this redheaded woman, who is basically programmed to be uh, basically a sex slave. And then you have uh, another one that's a worker, another one that looks like a warrior. So, so all these droids are programmed for certain types of, uh, uh, you know, work, if you will. Absolutely yeah. right, and in fact, I do have a video about Blade Runner up on my YouTube channel that people can check out, but uh, but you're exactly right, a lot of deep themes in that movie as well, and it also ties in with genetic manipulation, because the 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 characters in question are replicants, which are actually organic matter, but they've been programmed in a genetic sense, so, so there's a lot of themes in there. Um, anything you'd like to pick up on there, Lennon? Oh, yeah, he's absolutely right. I actually explore a little bit of that film in The Borg Agenda. Also, other films as well that kind of promote this particular agenda. Uh, you made an excellent point, too, about the replicants in terms of what they are, uh, biologically speaking. Um, I should also mention, too, fascinating, <laughs> um, that Blade Runner is considered to be the greatest sci-fi film of all time. Um, and uh, the reason why I explore that particular film is because there is a, a sequence in that film where uh, Harrison Ford, he's interacting with a female uh, uh, replicant, uh, and, it's, and in the movie, you really don't know that. For most people, you won't realize it towards, to, until towards the end of the film. And he basically uh, rapes her. And so in essence, what's taking place is the rape of this replicant. So we can say it's a rape of a, um, a, a an android, even though it's not necessarily technically it's not an android. But the idea is that it is a form of technology, right? But the, one of the fascinating things that happened was after um, I premiered that particular uh, segment of the Borg Agenda, that same actor contacted me through email. <laughs> and I can't think of her. I can't think of her name right now, but it's it's uh, uh, I think her name was Sean, but but she's she's the woman, she's the she's the main woman character in the film uh, at that time, very attractive, etc. And she contacted me, she's like, look, I saw your film, The Borg Dinner, and I'd really like to talk with you about it. But at that time, I was really uncomfortable. I never contacted her back. I think she sent me another email, left me her phone number, but I never contacted her back. But I just want to share that with you all because even individuals who actually play these roles, they may not necessarily be aware of the actual agenda until this actually pointed out to them. Right. I think can I ask you one thing? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well, also, too, what people are going to be aware of in the movie, Harrison Ford is a replicant himself. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and that was made ex- more explicit in the, uh, I think, the first director's cut, but they kind of made it more ambiguous towards the end. But, uh, yes, obviously the implication is there. He himself is that type of technology, well, and, and he only discovers it. And I think even, uh, I like his music simply because it's so doggone weird, but even Rob Zombie talks about that as one song, more human than human. Mm. Right, which is one of the catchphrases of the transhumanist movement. 
Absolutely exactly right. Well, mm-hmm. Mike, thank you so much for those comments. But we have another Thanks. caller on the line. Thanks. Let's uh, let's see if we Thanks, can get Mike. Dave Dave in Arizona in on this conversation as well. Dave, thanks for joining us tonight. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm wondering if the uh, if your guest has seen the new movie, the Ridley Scott movie Prometheus. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering what your take on. Uh, I, I guess it, I'm not very. Uh, up to uh, speed on transhumanism, but uh, I think there's a transhumanist element in that movie uh, played by that, I guess, that robot-type character, the blonde. Oh, no, I haven't yeah. seen it yet. No, well, no spoilers, no spoilers. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to spoil this. I'll, I'll close my ears. I'll close my ears. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, let me just, just to make it brief, yes, uh, Dave, there is a transhumanist agenda present in that film. In fact, um, there is a genetic-based agenda as well, which is largely tied to the concept of race, which then also gets into racial superiority, racial inferiority. Oftentimes, a lot of the storylines and plot lines that are explored in these films, even in Star Trek, is really the futuristic treatment of race-based mind control program. I've told people many times before, the concept of race is an illusion. This is just something that is propagandized over the last 600 years. Prior to that, the concept of race as it relates to genetics, skin color, etc. did not exist. This is a more recent phenomenon in the human species in terms of the vernacular and, and quote-unquote scientific exploration. But if, but in essence, in, in Prometheus, not only do you have transhumanist agenda propaganda, you also have race-based uh, propaganda as well, which can also be found in the uh, Aliens 1, 2, and 3. And I should also say that, that uh, anyone, if you're interested in seeing Prometheus, make sure you view uh, Aliens 1, 2, and 3 in advance. And okay. skip the other alien movies. But <laughs> maybe, that's, uh, <laughs> maybe that's just my own personal opinion. <laughs> All right, Dave, anything else? Uh, no, I just wanted to hear his take on it, and um, that's um, that was all I needed to hear. Thanks. All right, thank you, Dave. All right, thank, thank you. you. Uh, a- absolutely, there's uh, there's so many aspects to this, and uh, I think people can see that it's it almost seems like a snowball that's gaining speed as it goes downhill, and perhaps that ties in with the whole transhuman idea that we are on this uh, accelerating course towards the merging of man and machine, and that's worrying for many reasons, but at least. More people are picking up on this, and more people are seem willing to question what's behind this agenda, and I think that's the first step. We have to start the societal conversation. On that note, we are approaching the break, so we will be back to wrap things up in the final few minutes right after these messages. Welcome back. Here we are in the final few minutes of the broadcast, once again talking to Lennon Honor of LennonHonor.com. That's L-E-N-O-N-H-O-N-O-R.com, where you can find all of his work and his other website, his uh, film website, etc. So a fascinating conversation, obviously a lot of interest out there. We have one more caller on the line. We have uh, Craig in my home and native land of Canada. But before we get to him, uh, Lennon, I'd like to give you a chance to talk about what it is you're working on right now and how people can support your work if they're interested. Yes, yes. Uh, my main outlets or my main uh, outlet focus right now is uh, on my website, com. I do a live radio show every Saturday at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time called uh, Transcending Media Manipulation. So I talk a lot about media manipulation, uh, manipulation the various techniques that are employed, uh, scientific techniques that are employed by media to, to manipulate the subconscious uh, mind of the viewer. And then also my wife and I, we do a 
a live video stream on Sundays on LindenOn.com called Positive Relationships. That's every single Sunday at uh, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, in addition to that, I'm working on a, a, a film called The Coming of Cato, and that is going to be my uh, major work to date. I think I would consider that to be the most important work to date, uh, but that's a little bit later on before, uh, into the future that I can that I will be premiering that. And I should also mention that if you'd like to support any of my work, you can. Uh, I do have donation buttons on my website. In addition to that, I do have products and services that I offer on LindenHonor.com. So that's also another way that if people would like to support my work, uh, they can do so that way. All right, excellent. All right, well, let's see if we can squeeze in Craig in Ontario. Craig, you're on the air. Great, thanks for taking my call. Uh, Linda, a quick question for you. Are you familiar with um, a website called Vigilant Citizen? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, beautiful. Okay, I'd say you check them out. And another one right up your alley, I'm sure you've probably seen, there was about a 60-series YouTube presentation by a fella of Islamic faith called The Arrivals. Have you heard of that one? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, Okay, so <laughs> very powerful, <laughs> brother, and uh, they're they're echoing everything that you said tonight. Very uh, great interview. Thank you so much, guys, for presenting this topic. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And I should say that I've been in communication with both of those individuals over the years. So yes, I'm familiar with both of them. Okay, great stuff. Thanks mm-hmm. again. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you for the call, Craig, and thank you to uh, Dave and Mike and everyone else out there. Uh, great calls. And as as you can tell, a lot of people are interested in this. I'm sure you receive a lot of uh, feedback from your own website, but certainly it is a, a topic that, as I say, is becoming more and more important. Uh, trying to wrap this up, I mean, obviously it's very difficult to wrap up a conversation like this, but what would you like uh, listeners to take home from tonight's conversation? Just to always use a level of intellectual process to determine whether or not something is real, are irrelevant uh, because a lot of the propaganda that is being issued, the only way that people accept it and are being impacted by it is because they perceive it to be uh, real in the first place and that it's relevant to their lives. So, in other words, have a level of discernment. Critical thinking is key and always take an intellectual approach. When you do that, you can kind of sidestep the, the issue and, and sidestep the, the, the constant bombardment of subliminal uh, messages and uh, media manipulative techniques and mind control techniques that are implemented through media 24 hours a day. So that's what I would say. Just just really take care with this particular issue. And as I stated in the beginning, I, got, I went into this because I wanted to protect my children. Right. And in protecting my children, I learned to protect myself. For everyone, we should at least have that level of care for ourselves and we should extend that to our family and friends. Well, I couldn't agree more. We are certainly in a battle for our minds, for our consciousness, for our our worldview, and uh, we have to be ever vigilant about that. So absolutely, on that note, once again, I hope people will check out LennonHonor.com to find out more about Lennon and his work. And it's been a pleasure having you on the program. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. You take care. All right, excellent. Well, there he goes, Lennon Honor. Once again, LennonHonor.com. And on a perhaps similar note, we're going to be talking to Aaron Franz, our old friend at the Age of Transitions, tomorrow night here on the broadcast. Once again, every night, weeknight at 9 p.m. Central, a new new time slot for us. So I hope you'll join us then. Until then, I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Thanking you so much for tuning in tonight, and I hope to talk to you again tomorrow.